0: Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to The Scoop. I'm your host, Frank Chaparro, editor-at-large at The Block, and we have a very exciting episode of the show for you today. On the other side of the mic is our guest, Miguel Morell, founder and CEO of Arkham Intelligence, coming in from Colorado. Hey, Frank. The color state? What? What is the uh, state nickname for Colorado? The colorful I state? I
1: don't, I don't actually know what it is, but Colorado means Colorful in, uh, in, in Spanish. so I would though. imagine. <laughs> so that would make sense.
0: <laughs> well, in addition to musing over the state history of, of Colorado, we're going to be exploring how Arkham's technology is making on-chain data more accessible and why this is a, basically a good thing for the average crypto user. You know, the power of the blockchain technology is that you can see everything there, but so much opacity kind of blinded us to, let's call it systemic risk, for lack of a better term. But it's right there. And so, how can we harness it? How can we use it better? How can we actually tap into the so called benefits that are often espoused by proponents? But before we get into those granularities, we have to take a moment to thank our sponsors. What's next for digital currency after a brutal 2022? While the core promise of crypto hasn't changed, digital currency is still forming the base layer for a new global commerce infrastructure. From merchants at the point of sale to corporations that want to pay suppliers and even employees more efficiently.
2: Circle has always seen itself as a connector of the traditional world and the new world of digital currency. It's like building houses. What's the foundation and can you get the foundation right?
0: Throughout Q1, I'm happy to host leaders from Circle here on The Scoop to give listeners the chance to hear how one of crypto's most prominent builders is paving the way for digital currency utility. Visit circle.com slash scoop for more information. Have you ever wanted to use DeFi without being seen? Railgun is a leading DeFi privacy solution on Ethereum. It's also a leading privacy solution operating across Binance Smart Chain, Arbitrum, and Polygon2. And yes, that includes Dex trading. DeFi and privacy together at last. Visit railgun.org to find out more. This episode is also brought to you by Flare, an EVM-based Layer 1 blockchain with secure, decentralized access to information from other chains and the internet. Flare's native interoperability protocols provide developers with a variety of high integrity price and event data, including detailed transaction proofs from other chains and information from Web2 APIs. Build better and connect everything at Flare.network. All opinions expressed by hosts and podcast guests are solely their own opinions and not necessarily those of the blocks. Podcast guests may have taken positions in the assets or other matters discussed in this podcast. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon as a basis for investment decisions. For full terms, visit theblock.co terms service. Once again, I want to thank our guest, Miguel Morel, for joining us on the show. Sir, thank you so much for coming on. Thank you for having me. I'm really excited. We are as well. So, Maybe walk us through the origin story of the company. How would you get all this started?
1: So I've been operating in the crypto industry for for several years now. Um, I probably got started my career um, around 2017. And uh, in 2020, I had this idea of, you know, after seeing all of the things that were going on in the cryptocurrency industry, uh, it basically seemed as though, one of the fundamental principles of crypto and uh, of blockchain was not being fully realized. And so um, one of the things that, that is sort of fundamental to this new parallel financial system that we are attempting to create uh, is this idea of transparency and this idea of auditability of a immutable blockchain. Um, however, the, the issue with this is that for the most part, it's actually incredibly difficult to parse um, all of the data that that lives on chain uh, and all of the information that exists on on these blockchains, especially for normal people. Uh, and so it seemed as though that part of the vision uh, wasn't being fully realized. Uh, and I felt like if somebody could create a company that could make all of this blockchain information uh, not only incredibly uh, easy to use uh, and easy to Kind of understand, um, but at the same time, didn't gatekeep it just for large financial institutions or regulators or government, uh, but instead could open it up to sort of a mass audience and the crypto community as a whole. Then that you know that business could be could be super valuable. So I decided to to start it on my own.
0: So, in terms of like the monetization of that, how how does that work?
1: So I think right now we're in private data. Uh, and that growth has been absolutely spectacular. We've been growing uh, something like 50% uh, week over week since, uh, since our private beta uh, actually started back in August. Uh, and so that has been, you know, that's been wonderful. Um, but at some point we're going to release the product uh, publicly so that anybody can join uh, and there will no longer be a kind of closed uh, beta program while we're getting all of the features in place and, you know, actually figuring out exactly what we want to build. Uh, And once it's completely public, then at that point, uh, we will issue in, you know, some kind of uh, monetization for the more advanced features. So the Arkham platform, we can, you know, get into this a bit later on, but the Arkham platform basically has a ton of different uh, elements that that you can use. There's the entity search, the address search, alerts, dashboards, uh, we have an API, so on and so forth. Uh, And so I think for the most part, my vision for the product is uh, search and, you know, looking at... Entities and uh, uh, researching portfolios and so on uh, should always remain free. That's my kind of overall vision for the for the platform. Uh, but then for the more advanced traders who are making custom dashboards, you know, adding hundreds of their own entities using our API, so on and so forth, uh, we will probably end up uh, uh, charging them for their uh, additional usage.
0: So to give a bit of a TDLR of the firm. You've got investors, including the likes of Palantir and OpenAI, Tim Draper, and again, the tech. We're we're trying to make on-chain data more decipherable for the average person. One thing that's interesting to me and and the foundation that I set up at the top of the show, I'd, I'd love for you to sort of unpack that further. Isn't it unusual how transparent crypto is supposed to be? but how difficult it is for us to actually see what matters. And and I hearken back to um, the moment in which Alameda was withdrawing $200 million from FTX US just before the bankruptcy. Movement of flows like that, why isn't it easier? Why is it so difficult? And if we can sort of strip out that opacity, what does it mean for our broader capital markets in crypto?
1: so um i think broadly speaking uh one of the things that that makes it so uh difficult for people to understand what's actually going on uh on chain despite blockchain's fundamental transparencies uh would include the fact that you know people are interacting with pseudonymous addresses right and so when you are looking at uh some sort of you know uh, block explorer for example um in that situation you are looking at a number of Ethereum addresses, Bitcoin addresses, uh, you know, BNB chain addresses, for example. But you're not actually looking at names interacting with one another, and so that that can make things uh, quite quite difficult uh, whenever you're trying to understand what's actually going on. And that's actually sort of the fundamental piece of technology, the the core of Arkham is actually matching those addresses to the entities and the individuals uh, uh, behind them. Uh, And so as a whole, what we try to do as a company is trying to pin together, okay, this is the story of exactly who is moving, you know, what quantities of money, who are they sending that money to and when? uh, And is there, you know, any piece of research there that can actually be relevant for people who are, you know, either doing trading due diligence or, uh, uh, you know, investment due diligence or monitoring for compliance or, you know, there's so many different use cases for knowing who's behind a particular cryptocurrency transaction. And that's sort of like the fundamental value add of Arkham, which is that when you're using Arkham, you're watching a bunch of trading firms and exchanges and individuals interacting with one another, not a bunch of pseudonymous addresses. So we're actually trying to fix that fundamental problem of that opacity of the blockchains, as you described.
0: Yeah, it's interesting. We saw a headline today, I, I want to pull it up, where a researcher at Wintermute pointed out a Jane Street wallet may have been linked to the U.S. Peg, according to this gentleman, Egan Deev who is a former The Block research analyst. How does this benefit, sort of like if you were to sort of describe the ability to sort of know exactly who's behind these transactions? And, and with this being an example, is that, you know, from one perspective, you might say, well, isn't the whole idea supposed to be you don't know who's behind this activity? But having that clarity, how does that benefit sort of just the, the ecosystem writ large?
1: So the, the way I like to think about it is there are two parallel narratives that are running in the cryptocurrency ecosystem mm. uh, simultaneously, uh, and they coexist with one another. Uh, one is that the blockchain is supposed to be completely public and transparent and auditable. And that's what's good about cryptocurrency. The fact that you can see you know, uh, all of the different financial transactions that are being made to make sure that Uh, you know, there's no double spending or no, you know, uh, weird uh, inflationary patterns or basically that the financial system and all of the players in it are operating as they're supposed to is kind of held as, you know, one of the prized principles of blockchain. The second narrative that exists in tandem with this is one of sort of the more crypto libertarian type people um, who essentially believe that cryptocurrency is meant to be completely private. You're not supposed to know uh, uh, who are behind the the transactions, and uh, and that's the reason why you know cryptocurrency addresses are are pseudonymous by default. Um, and I think both of these have some sort of kernel of truth and some kernel of goodness to them, and they can you know they can coexist together as they as they are now. Um, but to answer your question, I actually think that the more important piece uh, is the first one, that first kind of narrative of. You know, that transparency, that auditability Uh, and the reason why it's good and the reason why knowing who the entities behind these cryptocurrency addresses are basically comes down to one thing. And that one thing is truth. It's actually knowing the truth um, about whatever it is uh, that is important to you and that is important to, to your company and your goal and your mission. If you're an investor, if you're a trader, the most important thing for your investing and trading strategies is knowing the truth about the market. Knowing the truth about the market, while other people don't necessarily know the truth, is what causes you to make profits. Same thing if you're, you know, a regulator or law enforcement, so on and so forth. It's very important to know the truth about, you know, what occurred. Was it something that was fraudulent? Was it something that was completely above board and, you know, wasn't an issue at all? Uh, in both of these cases, you need to know the truth about a situation. It's difficult to know that if everything's pseudonymous, uh, and so that's why it's so so important to be able to have these kinds of technologies, uh, and this ability to be able to see the actors behind these cryptocurrency addresses.
0: Miguel, are you a fed?
1: No, (laughs) no, I don't work for the guys. I don't work for the government. We do get that question a lot though. Uh, but no, no, we don't, we don't work for the government at all. I haven't received a dollar from the government.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Who's the government? I've never heard of them. No, that's, that's just a question our producer, uh, jokingly put in the script. (laughs)
1: no 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 feds here
0: no feds yeah totally but you could work you could i mean this could be a a potential product how would you i mean is it similar to sort of the sleuthing on chain sleuthing that you know a chain analysis or an elliptic does how do you differentiate yourself from uh you know this broader group of you know on-chain sleuths as it were so i
1: think there are two ways to 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 think about our differentiation and uh the sort of on-chain analytics market um as a whole uh and what makes us different uh the first is technology the second is uh, business model uh and i think that we're more similar in terms of technology and less similar in terms of business model uh and so when it comes to to, to the fundamentals of, of our technology I think when you sort of boil it down to to the basics of what we do, uh, I think it's probably quite similar. Obviously, I don't know the uh, internals of the the engineering at at some of these other companies. Um, But how, you know, nevertheless, we are both looking at publicly available information, both on and off chain, and fundamentally uh, attempting to to piece together uh, the stories of what's actually going on. Uh, on chain with respect to these different cryptocurrency addresses and the people behind them. So, all of that kind of technology, I think, is going to be very similar. We both have data scientists, we focus on machine learning, uh, and, and, and that's the technological aspect of the business. On the business model side, that's where I think things uh, differ. And so, uh, first and foremost, um, we're focusing not on, for example, like uh, regulatory and compliance related addresses. Uh, and 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 activity, but rather sort of the crypto trading market uh, as a whole is much more important for us. And so you know, I think we're much more likely to be looking into something uh, such as you know a, a a dpeg or what people are investing in, uh, what some of the largest traders are doing in the market and 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 whether they're influencing prices. Uh, and then I think some of the other more compliance related companies. Uh, Will be significantly more focused on, you know, sanctioned entities, sanctioned addresses, and seeing who are the people who might be interacting with, you know, illegal cryptocurrency activity. Whereas we don't touch on that at all. Basically, we 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 really kind of don't focus on uh, the sort of illegal uh, elements of uh, of of sort of cryptocurrency activity. Though sometimes, uh, as described before you can sometimes get overlap between the people who you know you would assume are doing legitimate trading uh, and then it turns out you know maybe there was something fraudulent in the background uh, and then it turns into kind of a whole a whole legal thing um so that's sort of one key difference and then the last part i would say is uh with respect to our, our actual customer base uh, and so we're much more focused on the the general kind of cryptocurrency ecosystem and community uh, we want to open it up to as many people as possible you know we want to have a million users on arkham uh, very soon. Um, however, I think like some of the other compliance companies are mostly focused on working with very large institutions, governments, regulators, much smaller customer base, more sort of services and contracting and consulting uh, related, less kind of you know just general mass software.
0: Understood. So what type of red flags in terms of on-chain data should market participants be on the look for? Like what what sort of creeps up that you know, raises an alarm that indicates that what appears to be the situation maybe isn't? You
1: know, that's a wonderful question. Um, and I think context uh, matters a lot. Uh, so for example, we have a uh, tweet that uh, either is currently pinned to to the Arkham Intel Twitter account or was previously pinned to it,
0: Let's find uh, which kind of...
1: Yeah. In the fir- in the, so in the first tweet, um, I, I think it's still pinned. In the first tweet, we basically described you know, what, what we had built. In the second one, we actually give an example use case of how you can use the Arkham product. And the example that we gave was that the FTX FTT treasury minted and then um, sent half of the entire supply of FTT to Alameda Research in a single transaction. Uh, and then I think it was something like three or four hours later. Uh, Alameda sent the entire, you know, uh, that that entire balance, which was half of the F- of the FTT treasury, back to FTX. Um, and and we sort of described this at the time. We had no idea what what was going on. Um, but you know, now in hindsight, we we sort of understand that there, you know, presumably were some sort of you know loans against that that FTT. Uh, For example, um, that would mean that, you know, Alameda would be able to get additional liquidity, which right now is it's being investigated, could uh, potentially have been customer funds. And so, you know, the the additional context definitely helps. um, But that was a situation where, you know, you could look at a transaction like that and you're like, okay, well, does it actually make sense?
0: Yeah. So let's look at you have you have the largest transaction Alameda research ever made by USD value was a week before the blow-up, that transfer of $4 billion in FTT, half of the token yes. supply. And your point is salient, which is context matters, hindsight matters. How can we, uh, as an industry, is, is it possible to sort of be able to identify this type of unsavory activity without mm-hmm. the benefit of hindsight
1: Yes yeah I th- I, 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 that's a very great question and I think it's super important. you know w- one of the things that I think could have really helped was just additional scrutiny uh, and uh, additional oversight. So for example, when that transaction happened I think you know there was some buzz in the community um, about it you know the tweet went viral. Um, but the reality is that no one really questioned it too hard. I think for the most part, because everyone, you know, including myself, to be honest, sort of thought, well, you know, Alameda is a really big market maker. Maybe they're doing custody for the FTX team. Maybe they're doing custody for the FTX exchange. You know, they're doing so much stuff in the cryptocurrency ecosystem. Like, this could be anything and we don't want to call out, you know, we, we don't want to call them out unnecessarily if we don't have evidence that this is actually something that could potentially be malicious or fraudulent, right? Um, however, you know, it doesn't even have to be that, that aggressive. It could just be, Hey, you know, it's incredibly strange that the entire, you know, that half of the, uh, entire supply of a particular token is going to one single entity, um, that is, you know, incredibly close to the issuer. So, you know, maybe we can get some clarity as a community on why exactly they're receiving half of the funds and then. You know it immediately gets sent back. That doesn't really make sense. So I think overall we just need way more people on the lookout for these kinds of you know very large or um, obscure or you know very strange transactions that are happening on chain uh, and then raising the question to the community uh, for everybody to kind of say, okay, look, this is uh, you know this doesn't this doesn't look legit. Could we get some answers about what's actually going on here?
0: Did we raise those questions? I mean, did we go out and hit them with with those questions as hard as we should have?
1: Um, I don't think so. I don't I didn't think anyone really re- really did. I mean, it all sort of started unraveling after the article came out regarding their their balance sheet, and that was kind of you know just that raised enough questions to I think launch obviously what ended up being the catalyst for the the ultimate kind of collapse. Um, But I think there could have been a lot more scrutiny uh, over time, uh, and especially just the fact that it was kind of, you know, it was somewhat of an open secret in in the market um, that there was such close ties uh, between Alameda Research and and FTX in a way that differed with their own public statements about how close they were. Um, But I think no one really scrutinized it, uh, definitely not as heavily as we should have.
0: So in light of that, what sort of strange discrepancies are you are you looking at more closely and how are your clients maybe thinking about on-chain data differently
1: yeah i think um that's a good question i think for the most part um one of the things that that people are actually looking at a lot right now using the arkham platform has just been just the sheer number of of exploits and of hacks and of other kind of um, you know, black hat events that have happened in the cryptocurrency industry over the past couple months—it's definitely been on the rise. At least anecdotally, from what I can tell, I don't know if by pure dollar amount, uh, it's much bigger than it was last year. But you know, it almost seems like every single day we're getting new news about you know this exploit, exploit happened, this hack happened, so on and so forth. So I think right now, many people are actually spending their time uh, tracing funds related to. These exploits and attempting to kind of catch people right away, or try to you know figure out you know who was actually exposed or vulnerable uh, to to those particular kinds of exploits. So I think you know many people are actually spending their time on that uh, right right now. That's that's one of the main things that people are using Arkham for.
0: Mm. No more news like this to hearken back <laughs> to the great, the great CZ response to one Larry termac <laughs> back in 2018 feels like just yesterday i had far far fewer gray hairs back then <laughs> i think we all did the core promise of crypto hasn't changed. Stablecoins can bring faster payments at internet scale, from merchants at the point of sale to corporations that want to pay suppliers or even employees more efficiently.
2: Circle has always seen itself as a connector of the traditional world and the new world of digital currency.
0: USDC is more than just a stablecoin. USDC is also an open source platform.
2: When our transactions are actually final and you can't change them anymore, that's another great quality property of cash because when it switches hand, it's fine. Right. Can you digitize all those good quality properties and bring that in a digital form?
0: USDC by Circle is at the forefront of this innovation. And that's why the Scoop is partnering with the folks at Circle to tell you guys why and how our industry is moving.
2: A lot of us who have built USDC, myself included and Jeremy included, we are technologists, so we approach this problem from a technology point of view.
0: Visit circle.com scoop for more information. Have you ever wanted to use DeFi without being seen? Railgun is a leading DeFi privacy solution on Ethereum. And it's also a leading privacy solution operating across Binance Smart Chain, Arbitrum and Polygon too. Shield your funds and use them privately on your favorite DeFi apps. Railgun's cutting edge zero knowledge system encrypts your data from public view. And yes, that includes DEX trading. DeFi and privacy together at last. Visit railgun.org to find out more. This episode is also brought to you by Flare, an EVM-based Layer 1 blockchain with secure access to information from other chains and the internet. Flare's State Connector acquires detailed transaction data from blockchains and information from Web2 APIs in a decentralized way, so it can be used securely, scalably, and trustlessly in applications running on the network. Paired with the Flare time series Oracle for decentralized price and time series data, Flare delivers a developer. Focused blockchain with secure native access to more off-chain data than ever before. Build better and connect everything at flare.network. So you gave an interesting lecture uh um, at Oxford. You are a bit of a a wonder kid, if you could if you can excuse my use of that word, um, where you talked about how crypto as a technology has crossed the GovTech threshold. Can you explain what you meant by that? And do you think our industry is inevitably going to become more controlled by the auspices of centralized governmental authority? Because you painted that dichotomy before. And if I were to extrapolate what you said, I would maybe make the case that you're thinking is you, you need to sort of bend a knee to an extent.
1: So, my belief about this, and, and this is what I sort of discuss in, in the talk, um, is that generally speaking, there is this timeline of, of innovation, if you will, where in the very beginning, technology starts out very small, decentralized, and, uh, and privatized uh, without very much government influence. Uh, and that sort of springs a uh, oasis of, you know, new tech that can grow, mm. um, and that can eventually expand to, you know, become widespread and, uh, and, and, mainstream. However, uh, over time, uh, it then begins to get regulated. So some of the examples, um, that I, I given the talk about other, uh, otherwise have, have used before, uh, would include, uh, for example, the automobile, so cars for example started as you know just regular privatized vehicles that you could own and you roll around in and you can get from point a to point b no problem no government oversight eventually the government decided you know there's a bunch of cars on the road we need to actually start regulating how these cars are 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 used so we're going to start um, issuing uh, driver's licenses so now you need government approval before you can actually drive a motor vehicle Uh, And second to that, not only that, but we need to now identify every single vehicle on the road. And so we're also going to institute license plates. I think people don't really, you know, analyze how these things don't just occur by default. They're actually pieces of regulation that come to exist as a result of the government taking notice and then, you know, finding that, you know, these things need to be regulated. So that's sort of one example of, you know, a piece of innovation Um, That then grew, became mainstream, and then the government started regulating its usage a whole lot more. Another example is the financial system, right? So, you know, the Wild West of finance in the 80s, hedge funds, so on and so forth. Um, Obviously, there's all the sort of like junk bond uh, craze and a number of other crazes that have happened with different asset classes in the financial system that eventually you know securities laws and other sorts of regulators come in and say no you can't do this you have to do this in this way you can't sell this to these people so on and so forth and so there's sort of this initial kind of innovation new asset class bunch of trading very wild west then over time it you know the innovation cools down the regulation comes in and uh, and it, it sort of becomes much more a piece of of the government um and so i think cryptocurrency will end up following a very similar path. At least, you know, that's sort of my prediction in my opinion about it, um, which is it starts very kind of cypherpunk early on, you know, Bitcoin forum. Uh, people can, you know, exchange Bitcoin uh, P2P. Um, and, uh, and over time, it sort of grew from this sort of decentralized, mine in your own home, uh, uh, make P2P uh, transactions to now an enormous industry where, you know, it's not competitive to mine Bitcoin in your own home, you have to actually run an institution in order to have a profitable Bitcoin mine. And even then, it's incredibly difficult. Um, The majority of Bitcoin is no longer acquired P2P, but rather via centralized exchanges. Uh, And last but not least, Now, not only is the government starting to bring its hand more into the cryptocurrency ecosystem, but there's also something very interesting that I've noticed within crypto in particular, which is the fact that many of the large institutions now look at the government and regulators with with open arms. Um, so w- without naming names, there are plenty of instances on Twitter, for example, where I've seen large exchanges or custodians or, you know, whatever, showing how friendly they are with regulators, you know, taking pictures with the pol- national police or taking pictures with a particular, you know, like F- CFTC commissioner, or, you know, any of these things to show that, you know, they're, they're welcoming the regulators in. And I think partially it's a defense mechanism so that they don't, you know, get shut down or there's no additional pressure on them. Um, But it just shows that over time, the cryptocurrency industry will continue to become regulated. Uh, And I think, you know, in the limit, if I sort of stretch this out all the way into the far future, you can actually make a case for that being in the government's interest, because the more the government can sort of monitor and control uh, cryptocurrency, the easier it is for them to track all of the funds, certainly much easier than tracking cash for example. And so a world where there's no catch and everybody's transacting in crypto is actually one where the government has far more surveillance, far more you know taxing capabilities, far more tracing uh, abilities um, than they have presently with the fiat monetary system. And so I think it, may, it would make a lot of sense if in the long run, cryptocurrency became incredibly integrated uh, with the government away from its decentralized origins.
0: This goes back to the question of whether or not you're a Fed
1: yeah no 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 fed no fed stuff here well i th- I think mostly I'm, I'm trying to understand you know uh, contrary to you know how many other cryptocurrency enthusiasts think about this which is just you know fight 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 i'm more trying to understand you know how is the government going to come in and how should we we be well positioned to you know wait for that to actually happen in order to be successful as a company
0: no fair enough what's interesting to me is i think that the devil's advocate side of of this conversation, would say, but shouldn't, I mean, if you're thinking about just purely on-chain DeFi, doesn't that regulate itself in a sense? And if it doesn't, then what's the point? What are the benefits there? Why not just send Transactions via what, you know, if I, you know, put my passport and ID into a system that verifies me and, I, and there's a middleman, what's the point of DeFi if it doesn't have this sort of self regulatory element? If it needs, like, I guess to put a finer point to the question, it's something we've talked about on the show a bit. DeFi front end, should they be regulated, something like a Uniswap where I've got to, you know, sign up just as I would with a Coinbase or Kraken, et cetera. So
1: I think, so with respect to the question of, you know, should DeFi front ends be just as regulated as centralized exchanges, you know, that's not a question for me to answer. I think I'll I'll leave that to to the regulators to to end up deciding. However, my personal opinion is that the beauty of DeFi uh, is the fact that you can very seamlessly and easily uh, be able to exchange and, and and swap assets and you know participate in you know uh, some sort of market and economy without going through these very large processes so you know on one end of the spectrum you have something like uniswap where you can come in with a hundred thousand bucks and swap one asset for another very easily on the complete opposite end of the spectrum is something like getting a mortgage from a bank that requires you know 40 pages of paperwork your social security number all kinds of Identifiable information, so on and so forth. And then right in the middle is something like a centralized exchange. So let's say, like Coinbase, for example, which is you have to come in, you you have to give your ID, you know, a lot of your personal, you know, taxable information, uh, and then you can kind of go from there. Now, I think that DeFi is incredibly interesting and very, very good because of the fact that it's so frictionless compared to the rest of these kinds of more, uh, these systems that are more ingrained with. The traditional financial system, uh, and you know, I guess in a sense, significantly more regulated as well. Uh, and so, I think it would be awful for big for uh, DeFi to be regulated uh, out of existence. And I think you're totally right. If we needed to go through these like large processes uh, and 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 you know friction systems in order to get access to DeFi services, you're right. What's the point? I mean, maybe it makes it a little bit easier um, to to get access to funds and be able to trade, but it's certainly not what, what, what it used to be. So I think the most important part of DeFi, if you actually go to the core of what DeFi is and what it stands for, is the fact that it's so frictionless. And additionally, and most importantly, it's not censorable. Mm. Uh, and so I think like if somebody is running some sort of DeFi protocol, that's just operated by you know a host of, of of nodes and computers all over the globe. You can't just like shut it down, you know, especially if it's open source. Uh, and so I think that's one of the more important you know pieces here versus some sort of company or exchange that is you know much more easy to censor. You know, much more e- you you know you can you can subpoena you know a company. You can't necessarily subpoena a DeFi protocol that's like open source and run by you know a, a thousand people. Um, so I think that's sort of the most important piece about it.
0: So let's talk about how business is faring in the crypto winter. What's it like for the firm? How how are you faring?
1: So I think um, it, it, it's good and bad uh, in, in in some ways. We're we're doing great, um, but I think like overall as a market, I can provide some of the insights that I've sort of drawn from from my experience. So I think that broadly speaking uh when you're in a crypto bear uh the the number one thing that is most uh difficult uh, is uh fundraising thankfully we're not in a position where we need to fundraise right now or anytime in the immediate future and so this isn't a big worry but i know for a fact that you know many other companies uh are thinking about it and are struggling uh because you know obviously when 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 things have broadly gone down a ton then investors shy away from making further investments especially venture um, just because it's mm. further along on the risk curve. Uh, and so I think that's one, that's one big thing, but isn't something, you know, that's a personal experience that's difficult. However, one thing that, that is very obvious is that, you know, the sort of, uh, general amount of, uh, usage of the ecosystem and, uh, and, and, users who are going around purchasing things, doing research, trading, um, does tend to go down, uh, when assets are not going up. And so I, I bet if you plotted out the number of traders, uh, that existed in November 2021 in the crypto ecosystem versus the number of traders that you know are trading crypto today. I think that number would probably be lower. Um, but I still think it's an upward trend from you know the past three years and will be much higher three years from now than it is today, which is why we you know continue building our business. I think the last thing I would say also that is actually a positive rather than a negative uh, is that there's less competition for talent. Uh, and that overall talent is less expensive than it was at, you know, peak bull market, mostly because, you know, when it came to the compensation packages, companies could afford to give out a ton of cash and give out a ton of equity and tokens. Uh, whereas now, you know, with no cash and tokens being down 60% from when they were then, uh, it's much harder. Uh, and so it's much easier to actually get builders who are interested in building in the long run, uh, despite the, the bear market itself.
0: One last thing I want to pick your brain on before we close out the show. Is there a place in the industry for privacy-preserving technology that firms like yourself can't track?
1: So I think the answer is there are definite, there's definitely space for privacy-preserving methods and practices, I don't know necessarily about, you know, technology that is, uh, default, completely, uh, private and mostly because mm. my opinion on this is my opinion on this is that as an industry, there can be room for privacy, but I don't think that there should be room for crime. Uh, and the, the issue is that when you have complete privacy, you also make additional room for, for crime. And that, that is problematic.
0: But what's wrong? With uh, and, crime? Sorry. I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh. Oh, what's wrong? With
1: crime? Yeah. Well, in general, I think, you know, it, it's a big issue. There's so many different things that can go wrong, right? From ranging from fraud to money laundering yeah, to course. terrorism financing, right? All these things are very bad, and I think like most people would agree that that they're very bad except for the most extreme of libertarians. Um, but in, in general, you know, I think it's perfectly fine for people to use existing technologies. Like I can use Ethereum privately with no default private technology, right? If I'm completely changing my addresses every time I make a transaction, I never use a centralized exchange, I've never posted my address on Twitter. I don't have a dot ETH associated with it or any other kind of you know NFTs or easily traceable assets. You know, that's a way of using Ethereum privately, but you have to be smart about it, right? Um, But at the end of the day, it's not a kind of technology where if there has been some sort of you know very bad crime committed you know, you can still go back and try to trace it, um, but for the most part, I think nobody's going to care um, unless you're doing something, you know, very bad or very uh, uh, important uh, in some sort of way, right? The, the very small fish uh, tend to not get caught in the sort of on-chain anal- analytics net, if you will, uh, and so for something like a tornado cache. Uh, for example, um, I think that that's much more tricky. Obviously, the government has taken a strong stance against it, um, but I think in general, uh, people should definitely continue to to think about privacy and think about how they can, you know, keep their financial transactions private on chain. That doesn't necessarily mean I think that there should be widespread adoption of private by default, completely, you know, uh, an anonymous mixers and, and things of this nature.
0: Well, Miguel Morel. Thanks so much for taking the time to join the show.
1: Yeah, thank you, Frank. Really appreciate it. It was a lot of fun.
0: Yeah, no dramas. Uh, where can we learn more about what you're working on?
1: So I think the best place would be uh, Arkham Intel on Twitter. Um, we post a ton you know, regularly, and, uh, and many people interact with, with us through there. Uh, additionally, you can check out our website at ArkhamIntelligence.com. Top right corner, there's a platform button and also a join waitlist button uh, where you can sign up to use the platform and uh, become
0: an Arkham user. There you go. Thanks for coming on. Thank you, Frank. The Scoop will be back for you again with another great guest. Have an awesome day.